Studying the Word of God can be difficult. One of the easiest ways to study the Bible is one verse at a time, but at times it can seem overwhelming. Our goal in this podcast is to wrestle with the text and dive in deeper. We pray that this edifies you and empowers you to fall deeper in love with the Bible and Jesus. Welcome to Everyday Theology. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? Are we already starting off bad? We're just laughing at John. <laughs> who is, John's dancing during who is the theme that? song. <laughs> who is that smooth voice on that intro? Oh, that's that's the guy with the hair. <laughs> the guy with the hair. It's the love doctor. Baby. What's going on? What's, what happened to our logos? Oh, oh our my TV. gosh. Sorry. We're not ready. Totally unprepared. Who will, they will not know what this podcast is called. It's Morning, true. guys. Welcome to Everyday <laughs> Theology. Now we know. Welcome I forgot to, what it was Welcome to called. another day of I need. I really need a producer. Yeah. You uh, do. Yeah, we, you should hire that person. That's what I'm doing right now. You, you, <laughs> you screwed up. <laughs> I did. You're fired. You yep. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Theology, guys. Thank hey, you. My yeah. name is Guy Parkerson. John Muth is here with me. Sean Newby yes. and Ian Stamps. Hey. How's it going? Guys, thanks for joining me. Of course. Yeah, you started something new this week. You kind of broke off from Acts, which... Mm-hmm. We did. And we'll spend... It'll take us nine weeks, but we'll spend eight weeks, because one of the weeks I'm out of town. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll spend the eight weeks and eight passages of Ephesians. It's part of my doctoral program that I've been in for the last three years. And I have to write a dissertation. It's like a book uh, that I have to write. And my topic is through the book of Ephesians, the topic of union with Christ and its applications through the book of Ephesians. So uh, it culminates with uh, the sermon series. And so we're preaching those eight passages. And you know, on Sunday nights, we're gathering back again for those that want to come to uh, talk through it at a deeper level, but we're spending some some quality time. And a, a great little letter, Ephesians, is so wonderful. It, it, Romans is by far Paul's magnum opus and you know, this greatest theological treatise ever written. Uh, Ephesians is like the Cliff Notes version of Romans. It's this concise declaration of the gospel and its applications to the life of the believer. It's a great little letter. Uh, perfectly symmetrical. Um, six chapters, the first three chapters are all about who Jesus is and what he's done. Chapters four, five, and six are the so what. Uh, you know, there are 41 commands in Ephesians. 40 of them come after chapter four, verse one. There's only one of them in the first three chapters. Uh, that's in chapter two, verse 11. Uh, so there's very clear, here's the gospel. Now here's how you live in response to it. And a great little letter. So we, I, I hope we'll have a, a fun blessed, helpful time in Ephesians over the next couple of months. I think you're already seeing the fruits of that, aren't you? I mean, you had a really I good turnout so. for this, the, the Sunday night. We did, yeah. I was so thrilled. People were, I mean, so very gracious and kind who would uh, come back because that personally benefits me because you know, we have to do surveys and stuff for the, the dissertation and people kindly uh, are taking those. But, I mean, really, they came back because they had questions about predestination. That's, sure. that, that's why they were there because that's, <laughs> you know, you, you read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, um, which is a great text. I mean, just massively deep and complex. Um, but it's not about predestination, is it? It, it is not at all about predestination. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, obviously it's there mm-hmm. in the text. Verse 4, he chose us. Predestined, verse 5, uh, he comes back to predestination later in verse 11. And, you know, thinks purposed in Christ. That's a you know, that's a foreknowledge predestining sort of idea. So, I mean, it's in the text, certainly the case, but it's not the point of the text. The point of the text is union with Christ. Um, the, the phrase in Christ, which is Paul's shorthand for salvation itself, to be in Christ is to be saved. Uh, that phrase and, and its derivatives of in him, things like that. Um, these 12 verses, it's 11 times in 12 verses. What's repeated is important. And which is one of the hermeneutical laws, and that's what the text is about. Wait, who's Herman? Who's yeah. Herman? Herman who? For our for you, our listeners, you just opened up the door because this was something that we talked about. You know, um, let's talk about the word that you just said, Her, yeah. hermeneutics. Why? Hermeneutics. Why, why is it important, and what is it? I think it's my neighbor, <laughs> Herman. <laughs> Herman Udix. Yeah, Herman yeah. P. Udix. Uh, is, yeah, hermeneutics is the field of Bible interpretation. And the, the word is based on the, the Greek god Hermes, who was the spokesman for the gods. He interpreted the god's will 
because he's the one who spoke. Um, you know, later on in the book of Acts, uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas will, will travel and they'll, they'll preach, and the crowd thinks that they're gods, and they think that Barnabas is Zeus, and they think that Paul is Hermes. Why? Because Paul is the preacher. Because that's what Hermes did. He conveyed the will of the gods. Barnabas yeah. must have been like ripped. Apparently. He's Zeus. You know, <laughs> or he's carrying a, a golden lightning bolt around. <laughs> Maybe that's the case, which would be weird. That would uh, be so kind of weird. Yeah, hermeneutics is how you interpret the Holy Scriptures. And there are these rules. There are laws that help you do that. There are some great books out there to, to do that uh, on Bible interpretation. We carry one at the bookstore in our church called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I mean, it's excellent stuff. I've got a whole shelf in my office just on hermeneutics and when you have theological education, I mean, you have to take that class. So I had an undergrad at the master's level, and I had doctoral level hermeneutics, uh, and rightly so. You, you, ha- you have to be able to interpret Scripture correctly. So when I say what's repeated is important, that's one of the, the skills. That's one of the laws. You, you look for what's repeated. That's getting at the author's intended meaning. The so when you said in text. Christ, in Christ, in Christ, yeah, in when Ephesians I ended that one, way, yeah. all I'm doing is is highlighting hermeneutics. Right. Uh, this is what's there. Look at this. Feel the weight of this. And and I think people did. Oh, what? Wow. I did. Yeah. Do yeah. you do you get the hint, you know, of of what Paul is doing? This is what the text is about. You by the grace of God are placed in Christ. You've been incorporated into him. You're in union with him, and that's what saves you. I love the word adoption. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and you can relate because you've yeah, adopted a child. adopted a child. So the, the beauty of these salvation images uh, is, is overwhelming and does nothing but cause praise and gratitude to God, which is the, you know, what Paul does. You have verse 3, he opens with this praise, blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. With all these blessings in Christ, um, absolutely the case. But Paul, Paul wanted us to know how we came to be in union with Christ by. Yes, by, I mean because he yep. does clearly lay out predestination in this, so it's not just a an afterthought. No, it's not. Yeah, absolutely, it's not an afterthought at, at all. It is the means by which. Right. Um, in fact, when this coming Sunday, when we do Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, the most famous text out of all of Ephesians, and, and rightly so, that great salvation passage, the, the issues of predestination and election are going to come up again. But they're not the point. They're not the point, no. But um, it, you know, I, I called Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 on Sunday the blueprint for salvation. 2, 1 to 10 is almost like the mechanics. It's almost like the to-do list of how it actually happens. And, and that's even here in Ephesians 1, you know, here's how someone gets saved. Here's what's going on to accomplish this great act of adoption, this great act of salvation. Um, how does one get in Christ? If, if that's the goal, how do you get there? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Paul explicitly tells us, God, God has to initiate this. He has to... Um, by far be the sole initiator of all this because you you couldn't get this done do on your own. Yeah. The similarities between adoption and this, I mean, did Cora have anything to do with her own adoption? No, not no. at all. Um, yeah, she didn't uh, she didn't interview with us. She didn't give us her resume and say, Here's here's why you should pick me. Uh, she didn't come and you know hang out and, and we'd you say yeah, I think we like her. Let's go ahead. Yeah, she's she's good enough. You know, I I, I see some signs of some intellect, or yeah, I think she's going to be athletic. So yeah, she's right. she's going to fit in well uh, with with what we have. So let's let's bring her in. No, we loved her before we even knew her, um, and had been wanting to adopt. Uh, so, and oddly enough, specifically, and, and only my wife and I had had this conversation that because at the time we had our daughter, who's the oldest, and then we had two boys. And one of the things I'd said as a joke was, if we were to ever adopt, it has to be a girl. Because if we adopt another boy, I think our daughter's going to revolt. You know, like that, that, there'll be hell to pay if, if we do that. But like, well, what if we didn't adopt an infant? And, and you know, you're too old. I mean, babies are a young man's game, yeah. not, not an old man's game. So what if we adopted like a toddler? Uh, he's already passed some of that kind of stuff. And so my wife and I had, had zeroed in on, 
what if we had a, 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 a girl toddler? Like, wouldn't that be cool? And then out of the blue, we got a phone call saying, would you like to adopt a two-year-old girl? Hmm. Sure. And in fact, we were in a souvenir shop in Jacksonville, Florida, when we got that phone call uh, on our week to a week of vacation, on our way to a week of vacation. And when Jody took the call and she, you listen for a minute and she goes, yes, the answer is yes. I have to talk to my husband, but the answer is yes. <laughs> I have to inform my husband of what yes, I have to tell him that we're going to do this because we'd already had that conversation. Yeah. And the Lord did all that. Well, and you even think about your birth. You know, this is what Jesus teaches to Nicodemus in John 3. You have to be born again. So what role did you play, Guy, in your birth? I mean, did you do anything? Nothing. In fact, the thought of my parents being intimate with each other just disgusts me, but I'm glad they did at least once. And, and understandably so. Nobody likes to think of their parents that way. But Never thought we'd go there on this podcast. Yeah, who, who would have thought? We they did, did though, John. Yeah, they did. But, Thank you. but think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. You the implications of that. Uh, your, your parents didn't ask your permission. They didn't ask you, hey, is it okay with you if we bring you into the world? It was complete, completely done without your input. It was done to you. You came into existence and was born, and you had absolutely nothing to do with that. If you've been in the room when your kids are born, who's everybody congratulating? Nobody's over at the baby going, hey, you Good did job. it. Good, Good job. Good job, man. You did. I know that was hard work. <laughs> They're congratulating mom. Mom yeah. did all the work. I mean, dad contributed a little bit, but mom did all the hard work. Not the baby. This happened to the baby. That's Jesus' point in John 3. Um, you didn't have anything to do with your first birth. You can't have anything to do with your second one. This is only his work, and he does it quite without your input. Well, you know, we're talking about sovereigns, God's sovereign election, God's sovereign choice, and we're not even in Ephesians one. I mean, it's it's yeah. all over the Bible. It's not... No, and right. You know, rather than getting into that, there are... Let's go in. Let's start. You know, well, going through. That's one of the things I wanted to say is that once you, once I started over the last several months, really exploring this doctrine. It's as I as I read scripture, as I hear a sermon, uh, as I you know I'm I'm reading. It's just everywhere. As I'm I'm reading a just a, a Christian book about theology, and there's a verse in there. I'm like, oh, there's election. Yeah, look oh, at that. There it is. There it is. <laughs> it's all over the place, and and there's almost like. I'm thankful that I'm starting to see it now and I'm learning more, but it's almost like I'm a little bit ashamed. I'm like, why, why didn't I see this before? And, and here's, I think I did. I just mm-hmm. ignored or think, well, that doesn't make sense. I'll come back to that later and then never come back, yeah. <laughs> never or come you, back to it. Or you explain it away, um, which comes back to hermeneutics and proper hermeneutics. You know, the first step in reading the Bible is let it say what it says. Don't, don't attempt to explain it away or argue it away feel the weight of what it actually says, and then deal with the implications of that. So when you read Ephesians 1 and you come across things like chose and predestined, like, oh, these are challenging words. Some people even have a like a violent reaction to that. Oh, it, it, like, yeah. Really? No, I hate that so idea. I've immersed myself in three days of listening to the, you know, the other side, and there uh, are some very... It's nasty shock- things. It's shocking how yeah. people get angry. Yeah, angry. At, like, it, listen. It says. It says this word right here. Predestined. He, mm-hmm. It says it. So we don't have to hate that word. We don't have to be scared of that word. Let's just talk about what's going on with it. it let's it's use, there. Let's use hermeneutical the hermeneutical style and let's yes. go through this. Let's walk through right. it. Let it say what it says it, to the group that came Sunday night. We went to Romans nine because people asked some some questions and and great questions. And we went to Romans 9 to answer them. And I said, here's the challenge. When you read Romans 9, you have to let it say what it says. And not do theological gymnastics to yes. get around it. Because, yes. Thank because you for I, using that phrase. That's I, a, yeah. I have heard um, sermons on Romans 9. I've, I've watched videos of sermons on Romans 9. And I mean, listening to someone preach on Romans 9 that doesn't just say what it says, I mean, it's impossible to follow. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it, it's it's almost entertaining yeah. and laughable to go. How how'd you get there? How, how did you do that? You know, I'm in awe of you took this black and white sentence and you you made it say 
the opposite of what it says. Like that that takes a level. You've of got skill. quite an imagination. <laughs> that's that's a that's amazing. But all of that's done in an attempt to. I don't like what Romans nine says. I don't like the implications of it. So I'm going to make it say something it doesn't say. Yeah, it, it is easy to do and happens more naturally, I think, than we would like to admit. It, it's simple. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It, well, th- this is what's really going on. Like, well, says you. Like, why do you get to say that? Why do you get to say? Oh, well, here's what Paul really meant. Well, how about we go to his actual words? Instead of and you take a look at the doctrines you ascribe to, as opposed to trying to make yes what, what you believe. Let fit. the text challenge you instead of you sitting in judgment over the text and and saying no 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 he 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 couldn't it have couldn't, meant this. Yeah. Well, why not? Why, why not? What what if he did? What if he really meant that? What if what if God's not the God that you thought he was? What what if the Bible says something that you know, other than what your grandma taught you when you were a kid? Maybe your grandma was wrong. I'm sure your grandma was sweet, but maybe she was wrong. There might, be a, re- there might be a reason why, you know, do not make God in your image is yes. I, I, one of the Ten Commandments. Absolutely, because, right, we don't have idols, you, at least in our context, American context, where you know, I, I don't have a little you know, stone marble or bronze statue uh, in my office that I bow down to worship. Uh, and, and most... Most Americans don't. Some do, but most Americans don't. But what they do have is the God that they fabricated in their imagination, a God that doesn't really exist because it's a God that has not revealed himself in the, in the pages of Scripture. That's the only God we have. So what do you think the biggest, what do you, what do you think the, big, the biggest um, opposition to this reformed position, sovereign, uh, um, what are what are their names? There's the term Calvinist, which I cannot yeah, yeah. stand. Calvinism, um, doctrines of grace, doctrines of grace. Um, yeah, the re- reformed theology, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, I have never read a Calvin book, by the way. Yeah, I mean, you should. Calvin's a great. Theologian. Yeah, but I mean, I I came to the uh, I came to the position of the yeah. sovereignty of God without reading a single Calvin you book. You don't need Calvin to do that. You don't need uh, Augustine or Augustine, however you want to say his name. You don't, you don't need him to do that. You don't need the reformers to do that. Uh, you just need the New Testament. Yeah. Really, you don't even need just the New Testament. You just need your scriptures uh, th- that to talk about a God who's sovereign over all things, including even salvation. Uh, it, it's, it's simply there. And I think the biggest challenge to that is pride. It's the ego. Uh, and it, what it comes out as in the argument is free will. Who is God to violate my free will? Like, well, God, that's who he is. And he can if he wants. Who, who said he can't? Where did you get that? That God would never violate my free will? That's, that's, no, that's not in Scripture. I mean, you have some. Obviously, when, when you got up this morning and you put on that gray shirt guy... Did you read a script that God wrote to tell you to wear your gray shirt today? No, I wanted to try to look good on camera. Well, and you do. So, <laughs> you know, success. Uh, you decided that. But this this fascination with the, the worst thing God could ever do is violate my free will. That's a uniquely American Western concept uh, because it's all we're all about freedom. We're all about I'm in charge of my fate. I'm in charge of my destiny. Well, what if you're not? What, what if God is, and it's not you, and it takes God violating your free will to get you out of hell and into heaven? Good. Bring it on. Praise well, the Lord. Yeah. We would mm-hmm. welcome that, wouldn't we? Yeah. Um, th- that's not the worst thing, God. That doesn't make God evil. That doesn't make God not good. It makes God merciful that he would do that. So think of this. I was thinking about this yesterday. And I heard this somewhere years ago. So let's say uh, you've got a little toddler that uh, who has just learned how to run, which is super fun when toddlers learn how to run because they never run the direction you want them to. And you're in your driveway and you live on a busy street and cars are going by. And what do kids do? They take off running for the street. Well, what are you going to do as a parent? Are you going to say, you know what? They want to run in the street. That's their right. They can run in the street. No, you're going to yell, stop, turn around. We would actually, we would call that repentance. Stop, turn around. I see what you did. No, see what I did there? No. And what if they don't listen? What are you going to do 
as a loving father, you're going to chase after them and you're going to reach out your hand and you're going to violently violate their free will. You're going to force it. And you're going to grab them by the back of the clothes and you're going to jerk them away from that traffic. What have you just done? You violated their free will. That that sweet little innocent child wanted to run into traffic and get run over. Call the police. That's right. Call the 800 number. It's over for you. You violated their free will and in so doing you saved them. Does that make you an unloving father? Does that make you an evil father? No, that makes you a merciful father that wanted to save your child. So what happens when a loving heavenly father sees his child who's running away from him towards certain death and reaches out and grabs you and turns you around? You didn't want that to happen. Does that make him evil? Of course not. That makes him loving and merciful for crying out loud. So I I just kind of roll my eyes at, well, yeah, but what about my free will? Why is that the center of your argument? Uh, I get to do whatever I want. Well, maybe you don't. I, I think I think more so even than that, what people have a problem with is the idea that maybe everyone doesn't get a fair chance. Yeah. Everyone oh, doesn't yeah. get that's, a fair that, shot. That's at, where at, my mind goes. You know, yeah. uh, fair. It's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but who are you to say that to a to a holy God? Who right. when we when we all rightly deserve to go to hell? Well, yeah. Let's define let's define fair. What's fair? Judgment. Yeah. Judgment yeah. is fair. That's Everybody in hell is great, what's fair. Great, great word. Judgment yeah. is fair. Okay, now what, what's going to happen when we, when we stand before the judge and we're, and we're judged rightly and justly by a holy God? Yeah. Hell. Eternity in hell. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and again, that this whole idea of you know, fairness, equal opportunity uh, to be saved, but he doesn't, though. Like, we, we have fabricated that. We don't even need to open our Bibles to know that. Millions upon millions of people die every year without ever hearing the name of Jesus. Is that equality of opportunity to be saved? But is it no. unloving to save some and not others? No. No. Not when it, there's no one who deserves it. Right. It's, it's loving, it's merciful that he would save any, any of them. Right. So you have to kind of flip the script and look at it from the other vantage point it's, it's not unfair that God would only save some. It, it, it's unfair that he would save anybody. When none of us because are deserving just. of it. Yes, it, it's only by his mercy. Because how these are all the questions I've been yeah. wrestling so, with. Because these are hard questions yeah. that people should wrestle with these things. They are right to wrestle with these things. And the questions that I'm asking, I've already, you know, I've worked through these. So I'm asking these for our audience, for, you know, absolutely people who are wrestling with this. So this is hard stuff. It is. The implications are, it it sounds like God is the originator of evil. That's another, Mm. you know, um, uh, that was one of the questions I, that was one of the early questions I asked, I asked you. And went back to the garden. Okay, so did God? God created Adam and Eve with the ability to sin. Does that mean He created evil? Is He the author of evil? Right. Well, He even and, created Satan, right? Who we would say is the author of evil, right? Who brought sin and temptation to the world? He He was He was an angel that the Lord had made. Yeah. Uh, yet all this destruction and death comes to the earth. Um, it's almost enough to make you think. God maybe didn't know what was going to happen, and he's yeah. you know, in heaven going, oh, man, now what? But the, that, you can't reconcile that with the rest of Scripture. No, not It's either all. all authoritative or it's none of it is. So exactly. if God is sovereign, mm-hmm. then he's not surprised Yeah, anything. And, and this was his plan so all along. So it must be his plan all along. Yeah. I heard something yeah. recently by uh, Steve Lawson said this, and he said, what we, what we lost with Adam, what we lost with the fall of mankind is – infinitely smaller than what we gain in in Christ mm-hmm. for all eternity and yep. the just the attributes of God that we we know we understand his mercy and his grace and uh we wouldn't we wouldn't understand any of that if it weren't for sin yep and that was a really simple way that for my simple brain to to understand yep. I was like oh yeah that makes sense we have a, a little kid at our church that every sunday he comes up and he asks me questions he'll i mean he's really intuitive and he 
paying attention to his lessons in children's church and Sunday school. And, and he'll come up and he'll go, uh, Mr. Ian, I have a question for you. <laughs> All right, sure thing, buddy. What, what's up? Is his name John Muth? <laughs> yeah. Hey, buddy, you got a question we for actually, me? We actually do have the same name. Yeah, his name is Jonathan, uh, oddly enough. And uh, yeah, No, my, I do that on Thursdays. <laughs> yeah, we have a scheduled meeting every Thursday. So, uh, Hey, buddy. You, you, you bet, buddy. I'll answer it. And uh, he said, so if, if God knew that when sin entered the world, all, all of these people are going to die and there's going to be destruction and pain and suffering, why did he do that? Why didn't he just leave all that out? Which is a great question mm-hmm. that for an advanced theologian, much less a little kid. Yeah. Great question. And I said, here's the thing. If, if God would have not created Satan, because he could have. He could have not created Satan. If God would have not put that tree in the garden, all God has to do is just, there's a bunch of trees. All he has to do is just leave that one out. Like, who cares about that tree? Just leave that tree out. Then, yeah, there would be no sin. We would all be living in a perfect world and... How, how glorious that would be. But we would know nothing of God's mercy. Mm. We would not know what grace is. So God knew to display his character to his people, to put himself on display. There has to be sin. There has to be consequences and justice and hell and suffering. There has to be all of these things so that God can display his mercy to his people. Because if he hadn't done that, we don't, we don't know what mercy is because we've never experienced it. Mercy is what it is and so powerful because it's in opposition to wrath and death. That's why we love mercy so much, because we deserve wrath and death because of our sin and how grateful we are for mercy. And wrath, Nubi and I were talking about this, wrath is actually another way that God portrays his Holiness. Absolutely. Yeah. And people don't think about uh-huh. that. I yeah. mean, yeah. and it is another aspect of one of his his holy attributes. Yeah, you're right. How many people read the Old Testament? I mean, I, I just read First and Second Samuel. I'm into Kings right now. And there's a, I mean, there's a lot of death. I mean, at the end, David does a census. The text doesn't really tell us why it made God angry. But mm-hmm. David's commander of his army tries to tell him, hey, this is a bad idea. And then he has him take the census. It takes nine months, and he comes back, and David's like, oh, I messed up. And then through a prophet, God says, there's going to be, you have three choices for judgment. He gives him choices for judgment. You pick. And he picks three (laughs) days of, it says, three days of plague, of pestilence, and 70,000 people die. And, I mean, how many many people have you known that say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament? Yeah. You know, it's it's the same... God and I used to not know how to answer that question. It just kind of stumped me, and I'm like, I don't know how to encourage this person. Right. Yeah. But it's the same God, and he's, it's it's his wrath, but it's his holiness on display. Yep. And it just makes me even more appreciative that he predestined me to adoption as adoptions as son through Jesus Christ to himself, mm-hmm. and he did that according to the good pleasure of his will. And yeah. you did nothing to deserve it. Right. So I've heard that time and time again the last three days doing this research, you know, anti-Calvinists, they'll say that we think we're so much better than anybody else. Oh, that is the farthest thing from the truth. I look at it yeah. and I, 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 well, I view myself as deserving the exact opposite there's probably of some the adoption process. Who do? And yeah, that's, there are. That's oh, why. yeah. The, the, yeah. I think all of us have encountered those or listened to those who hold to some of these views and they come across as elite. And yeah, I'm in part of the elect, and and you're out. You stink. I think to be you should in. always talk in that elect. voice. Elect, elect. <laughs> that wow! Look at me. I'm part of this super you know, secret club that's with God. If that's your response, I'm not sure you are, because yeah. this should never produce arrogance and you're not reading scripture the way you no, should be reading it. it it will produce nothing but mm-hmm. humility and gratitude nothing but because it is it is truly by grace you did nothing this was decided before you were born before you could even do anything um it, before god could look at you after you were born and go ah yeah he's cute i'll let him in oh she's sweet i'll let him in no even before then it, it is 
100% by his grace, undeserved. Therefore, my response is humility. How, Sunday night, we had a, a, a woman who asked a couple of questions, and you know, I, I explained some things, and, and she was crying in the back row, just out of gratitude of, why me? I, I cannot believe that God would do this for me. Like, well, yeah, why me is not the question to ask, because there's no answer, yeah. because it has nothing to do with you. It's it's just his grace. Be- and she was overwhelmed at that. Because what's the ultimate end of our redemption? It's not for us. It's it's so we can be a people mm-hmm. to glorify God in heaven. I mean, Jesus comes down to redeem us in order to present us back to God as his perfected people. It's not it's not about us. It's, the, right. the chief so, end the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's right. Yep. That's right. And so I just I'm amazed too that that's actually the best thing for us. Too like that's just another goodness of of God. It's yeah, God's not an egomaniac. Yeah, no. To, it, there was a His glory and our joy. Yeah, was it late nineties, early two thousands? There was a worship song came out that was called "Famous One." Uh, you remember that one? Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that one. You are the Lord, the famous. One. I'm not going to sing it. Here it comes. <laughs> nope, not going to do it this week. <laughs> and, and and I had a friend in college who was a, a worship okay. leader who refused to sing it famous uh, one. because he thought it made God sound like an egomaniac. Really? Like, listen. He, he created the heavens for the purpose of declaring how great he is. So you singing that song probably isn't going to make God be arrogant. So the, the universe. I, we don't want to give him a big head. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, because that's who he is. How about a verse of just as I am? That's right. Yeah, that's, that's way better. Instead. Uh, just, again, it just, it just makes no sense. That, Ten yeah, of them. God is always after our good um, which is the definition of agape love. Uh, it's, it's the love that seeks the best, the good for the recipient of that love. You, and that's the love that he loves us with. You know, I've heard it said that we, are, we were built to worship, mm-hmm. and we go through life worshiping things that are not worthy of worship. Absolutely. So that, that implies that there's something out there that is worthy mm-hmm. of worship. Mm-hmm. So does that make that entity, that being an egomaniac? No, it makes it it completes us. Yeah. And what a beautiful picture that we actually, not in this life, but in the next life, we get to spend our eternity worshiping what deserves to be worshiped. We go through this entire life, you know. Yeah, and that starts now as a whisper. Yeah. You know, this hint of what's to come. Uh, you know, kind of like what you know, uh, Paul says in one, Ephesians one thirteen that he's the Holy Spirit of promise. He's this deposit, this pledge guaranteeing our inheritance. Um what we have now is a whisper of what's to come, a down payment. Uh, so even the, the life of worship we live now, the, whatever we come to understand of the glory of God now, that's just but a hint of what's to come. Like a dirty mirror. Yeah. 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 Uh, almost like somebody should have written that. Yeah. Like that's a great Where is image. that? Is that in Corinthians? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I also love how I mean th- we don't have time to talk about this, but I also love how Ephesians one just displays all three persons of the Trinity. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. The work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, the work of God the Spirit. Yeah. It's all and, there. And it, that that all of God saves all of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what an incredible con- that that they weren't fighting. You know, the, the Trinity is not fighting and arguing over whether I'm in or not. They're all working in perfect unity and harmony to save those he's decided to save. Um, what, a, what a beautiful picture mm. of, mind you, the unity that dominates chapters 4, 5, and 6. Uh, because union with Christ has its primary application as unity with Christians, which is the argument of my dissertation and this whole sermon series. That I'm in union with Christ, Sean, you're in union with Christ, Therefore, you and I are in u- unity with one another. And all of those commands in the back half of Ephesians are to be viewed through the lens of this is how you keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, chapter 4, verse 3. Um, this is what unity looks like. It's how you live the reality of unity. Um, because God is this unity and has brought you into that and now live out that reality amongst yourselves as his people in the world. Is it almost like a giant marriage? I mean, so, I mean almost, so which would be a really neat image if only Paul would have talked about that. 
that uh, it's kind of like marriage, like how a husband and wife function uh, is, is almost like how Jesus and his people Function. Is this sarcasm? I think so. I'm, conf- I'm confused. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I wasn't going for sarcasm. I mean, like, as Christian brother and then being in unity with Christ. So so we're all joined. I, yeah. I, that time I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. Yeah. I, I was. I, kinda, I was sarcastic. Okay. I was completely going with sarcasm. <laughs> so I'm glad you picked up on it. Is that submit um, to one another out yeah. of reverence for Christ? Is that Ephesians 5? That's 521. Okay. Uh, and then starting in, in 22 is how that functions in a marriage. And here's this picture of husband and wife, how they function with one another as a picture, an illustration of this is how the Lord works with his people. And doesn't Paul refer to that as a mystery? It's a mystery. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he says. This this is a mystery. What's the this? Uh, he's not referring to the husband and wife, one flesh, because it's, it's right after he quotes Genesis 2.24, uh, for the husband will, you know, man will leave his father and mother, unite with his wife, uh, become one flesh. Um, this is a mystery. Well, it's not that a husband and wife as one flesh or the mystery. It's that Christ and his people are one. That's the mystery, the gospel of union with Christ. Yeah, it's a mystery because he says this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So as he teaches this stuff about husbands and wives, I'm really talking about Jesus in the church. And then the last verse of that section, uh, 533, like, but nevertheless, yeah, husbands love your wives and I've seen to it that you respect your husbands. So like it, it still applies to husbands and wives, uh, even though the theological concept is bigger than husbands and wives. It still makes it an impact in the daily living out of the unity of a husband and wife. A relationship at its most basic level, union with Christ makes all the difference in the world. Impacts everything. It impacts everything. Yep. I I look at I look at Guy Parkerson before Christ and after Christ, and it's impacted everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, how could it not? Yeah. Um, when you have God the Father choosing before the foundation of the world to predestine you as adoption to his, as his son, in God the Son we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and God the Spirit who would seal you and secure you uh, until the final day of redemption to be with you for all of eternity. How could that... How could you shrug your shoulders at that? How could you live in a way that wouldn't be impacted. Well, let's talk about the word redemption real quick, because it is such a nice word. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Again, it's another one of those images of salvation, like adoption. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you you also have redemption in context, slave term, bought back. You know, when when Paul says redeem the time, you know, buy back the time. Um, But really his imagery of it comes back to the Old Testament of God crushing Egypt to set his people free. God says, I redeemed you. I carried you out on eagle's wings. Um, that's redemption. He crushes the enemy and sets you free. That's what we have. In, in, in my research last night, it, uh, it says redemption always implies a price being paid for the freedom that, it was, that, it, that is purchased. Mm-hmm. A price had been paid. The blood of Jesus, the blood Christ, of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah, which is why he says through his blood in Ephesians one, that's that's the price that was paid. Which is going to bring up um, some some interesting topics in the future: e- eternal security. Yeah, um, I, I think thirteen and fourteen of chapter one address it directly with the role of the Holy Spirit. If he bought you with the price, yeah, he owns you. He owns you. Is he going to unown you, or he's sealed you? Is he going to unseal oh, you? That was the next thing I wanted to talk about. Sealed in Christ. Yeah. That is what, what does that mean? What are yeah. the implications of that? Jesus said, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Uh, so is that on your will? Like through sheer force of will, I'm going to make it to the end? No. According to Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, the Holy Spirit does that. Uh, he seals you, secures you, indwells you to empower you to make it to the end. You'll make it to the end, but because he empowers you to do so. And. And if he didn't empower us to do so, we would lose our salvation every single day. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the things that I, I've heard MacArthur say a handful of times uh, that you know, I, I chuckle still every time. He said, if, if I could lose my salvation, I would. And uh, how true is that? I absolutely would. Yeah. Daily. It, I, all, all the time. Yeah. Uh, because I'm just that stupid. Yeah. So, I, I am just that sinful. Yeah. Something that's helped me with that is, is to think about um, you know, God has elevated Christ to the place of highest honor, uh, and if it's not like He's looking down and saying, "Hey, Sean lost his salvation 
Jesus, we're going to have to demote you. Like, you didn't <laughs> right. quite do it right yep. for Sean. You didn't uh, get it. No. And I'm like, yep. oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, yep. Yep. So my, yeah, about my salvation is secure. Because you're with him. Because I'm with him. Because I'm in him. Y- you are in Christ. And, and so 2, 1 to 10 that we're going to look at on Sunday is so incredibly powerful with that reality. Um, because the, the heart of 2, 1 to 10 are three verbs. Uh, verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you say, you know, God has elevated Jesus to this place of highest honor. Absolutely. It's the right hand of the Father in heaven. And where are you? Seated. Past you are, tense. You are with Already happened. him. It happened at the cross. You are with, you were, your soul was, in all technicality, was raised from the dead when Jesus was raised from the dead because all those who were in him before the foundation of the world were raised with him. I've heard that before. That sounds a little bit like God is sovereign. Almost. Yeah. But what an incredible reality mm-hmm. that, yeah, Christ is at this place and you are with him. I'm going to make a little place. sign next week that says sarcasm. sarcasm. And I'm just going to hold it up. <laughs> Every time I'd sense it, it'd be fun. I'm sorry. We, yeah. What are you talking about? I, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't. We don't get. We don't get sarcastic. See, I would. Do, I would have done it right there. It's my love language. Gosh yep. dang it, we're running out of time, and I, you know, I feel like I, I don't feel like we camped out too far, too long on election and predestination. Huge part of this text. Yeah, there, you have to deal with yeah. it. It's there, and I think that 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 automatically people have questions because oh, this isn't the way that ch- the American church preaches today, but this isn't anything new. No, no. A- and, and we have to remind ourselves, Paul didn't invent this doctrine. No, Paul got this directly from his old Testament. Mm-hmm. This is everywhere in the old Testament, uh, you, which he will highlight in Ephesians. He highlights in Romans, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated that. That's not, it, Paul didn't, invent that concept for Romans 9 to make his point. No, not at all. Um, God said that in the Old Testament. These brothers in the womb before they were born, I set my affection on one and I've rejected the other one. That This is not a New Testament only concept. This is biblical from start to finish. It's mm. everywhere. I, I agree. Guess, I think we could also encourage people to check out Sunday night's just deeper dive into Ephesians one. There's a lot of these questions I know were asked. Yes, they were. And, yeah, uh, you that's on. It. Yep, broad, uh, broadwaycc.org media page. We have a Bible studies uh, tab that has several Bible studies yeah. there, and the Ephesians one is there. Man, people asked people incredible questions Sunday yeah. night. I, it's a I good was, resource. I was thrilled with their reactions uh, to it, and so. All right, wait a minute. So. All right, if Ephesians 1 is true, then well, what about this? And what about this? Those are the right questions to ask. Um, what are the implications of this in terms of my view of God and my loved ones and the unsaved? What are the implications of this for me? Uh, really fantastic questions that I hope I was helpful in answering. And uh, I hope it's a good resource. But again, the, you know, every text that we preach, we're just going to come back because there's so much there than what I fit in in a 30-minute sermon. Uh, we just go a, a bit deeper. Mm-hmm. We get into some of the grammar because you know, when the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture, it, it it's also the grammar even that's been inspired. So we talk through even some of that and that a, a deeper level of the text, and then we ask questions. Can I just say, I know that no, okay. Well, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> okay. Sarcasm. Yeah. I, I know that mm. that the three of us have dealt with this, and and not so much guy, but we were talking about hermeneutics earlier. And for me, and I think it's the same with you guys, is it's important to shed, I've said this before on here, to to shed this lens that you have grown up reading the Bible through what you've grown up in your church teaching you and, and let the text speak for itself. But you really have to get rid of these preconceived ideas that you have. Mm-hmm. Which is to develop correct ideas, which is so much harder than it's than I than we think it is. Yeah, because it sounds so simple, right? But it affects so many oh, areas. Well, it's like other I things, mean, you know. It, yeah. it, well, I'm a musician, so if someone it if someone has just kind of been playing 
well, for example, I just kind of picked up drums. I've never really taken a, a lesson. I know he's bragging. I, right I now. do. I'm not good. I do a lot of things wrong. <laughs> like technically, if I were to sit down with a, an instructor and they were to say, Hey, you're doing that wrong. It would be harder for me to unlearn the wrong way I've been playing it than to start from scratch with the instructor and learn the right way. Teaching someone yeah. who doesn't have any experience yeah. right. playing before. Golf coaches say the same thing. Yep. Personal trainers. Oh, see, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> that the worst kind of person that a golf pro has to deal with somebody who's already been playing golf oh. because they have to unlearn and there's muscle memory. There's all kinds of stuff. They have to now unlearn and relearn and it's really hard. It's better to take someone who's never swung a golf club in their life and teach them the right way from the beginning. It, it's challenging theologically. Um, and again, I, I come back to, I, I've been horrified at how long it took me to go, yeah, I'm just going to let the text say what it says and all of that. It, it sounds so simple. It's really not. It's really not. It's, it's, a, it's a learned, developed skill that takes time. And just like with music and with sports, I mean, what could be more important than correctly handling the word of mm-hmm. God? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's something that, Something we should all challenge ourselves to do is to just read it. And if we come across something difficult, you work through it. You work don't, through it. You don't ask questions, right? Well, and and to then land on a conclusion, it's really hard. Of grandma was wrong, my preacher at my home church that maybe I was related to was wrong, or mom was wrong, or my professor was wrong. That book that I read was wrong. Just because it's in a book doesn't make it true, right? Uh, or or right um, to. To declare that, unless it's in our bookstore, right? Then it, that's different. <laughs> all, all those are correct. Those are all inspired, I yeah. think. Right? Or if I heard it on that podcast, maybe that podcast is wrong, except for this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's really hard yeah. to it, because then it implies, oh, I haven't understood that correctly. I was wrong in all of that. Wow, and it, it takes humility to acknowledge I missed the boat on this one. Not to mention it might affect other things that you were pretty sure on. Yes. Yeah. There's one of the things I said Sunday night to the group was uh, when, when you start wrestling with some of these doctrines and that happens with any doctrine um, and you you see things a little bit differently, there are dominoes that begin to fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, because a lady asked a question about limited atonement or particular redemption, whatever you want to label that doctrine, which is a direct implication of predestination. And, and that's what I said was these dominoes begin to fall. Yep. And that was her first one to fall. Like, well, wait a minute. What about this? Like, now we're talking. Like, yes, that is the most logical, reasonable question you could have asked. Uh, so tremendous stuff, yeah. but hard. And this is when it starts to get fun, too. Oh, you find yourself wanting to dig deeper in yeah. the text of Scripture. You, yep. you, it, just, it just comes natural. And yeah. So that that, that we, we're running out of time. Well, we, we said that like ten minutes. I know. Ago. <laughs> Sadly, newbie and I have to go to work. So we really are running out well, of I mean, time. So did John and I, but whatever. Yeah, yeah you can, we don't matter. We, whatever. We work hard, don't we? Do. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. We have real jobs. Is that what you're saying? We don't yeah, have to. Sit you have real jobs. Yeah, you guys have real <laughs> jobs. Well, yeah. This is my last podcast with you all. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I want to close it on on. So this is the. the there's a lot of people that are going to Broadway now that have never heard this before. Yeah. yeah. Most. Is this a salvation issue? No. No, it's not. The gospel is the salvation issue. Trusting right. in Christ is the salvation issue. Um, if, if you were to say, Ian, I hold to a distinctly Arminian view or free will, I'll, I'll say, cool. Mm-hmm. I would challenge you on some things just as I would hope you would challenge me. This is what the body of Christ is for. Yep. Let's let's talk these things through. Um, th- this is not a, if you don't agree on this issue, you are not a Christian. That's just not true. Yep. Yeah. It's just not, it's, it's like a different end times view. If I'm premillennial and you're postmillennial, does that mean you're not a Christian or that I'm not a Christian? No, of course not. Or a view on baptism. Um, you know, is, is that different? Uh, is R.C. Sproul not a Christian because he baptized babies? course not now should he baptize babies not no i don't think so right um but that doesn't imply it's not a salvation issue no it's it's just not i I would put this issue up there pretty high it has salvation implications not in terms of whether you're saved or not but how salvation functions um and i again it's a it it's just a different way of coming at 
how you view God, how you view scripture, that's really exciting and deep and challenging. And it, it it's worth wrestling with. And that's how I ended Sunday night. I said, keep, keep wrestling, keep asking questions. Uh, the text says what it says. Let's deal with that. Let's figure this out. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's all we can do. Regardless of the conclusion you come to, that's all we can continue to do. We wrestle yeah. with the text. Can I, can I maybe try? Oh, I like the music. Can I maybe yeah. try saying the last profound thing today? And then if, it, if you don't like it, Do we it. can just, yeah. we can end with what Ian said. Ooh. You're the smartest guy in the room, John. I'm not. Hey, <laughs> really not. he didn't even learn drums. He just picked oh, it up. Man. So this, technically, he's you just push all my See buttons. See what he did there? <laughs> you just know where they all are. I know. John, oh. say something it's profound. awesome. Well, I, I was just thinking since the beginning is that uh, these this doctrine, when I, whenever I see the word predestined or I see something that hasn't made sense, what I, I've been thinking a lot about this, and it's been planting seeds of doubt in me for so long to where I think it had affected my love of Scripture. Uh, and then once I started, once, once I heard someone say, what if you just read Scripture to mean what it says and start from there? It's like this whole new world has been opened, and it's it's it is just my love for the Bible and my confidence in Scripture has grown. Sure, there's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of in- implications to this doctrine in particular, but but now it's it's fun to figure those out, and uh, I'm just I have a renewed love for the Bible and for for Jesus um, because of that. Praise God. Yep. Yeah. That was profound. That was absolutely profound. And it was a great way to end it. It oh, was. Thank you. You guys, well done, thank John. you. Our audience, thank you for joining us. I hope, gosh, I hope they get as much out of this as we do. I, I hope it's as helpful as it is to us personally just to sit around and talk about it. Yeah, this. I hope they get more out of it than me because I don't get much out of it. <laughs> and I would like. <laughs> now I, you ruined you guys, your profound <laughs> ending. Dang it. You guys are boring. <laughs> I, would like to, I would like to remind our audience that if they have any questions, they yep. can contact the church through you know Ian Stamps at Broadway. Ian at BroadwayCC.org. Yeah, we invite questions yeah. and listen. We wrestle with the text every single time we read it. Yeah. It's fun. It's um. It's the whole point of this podcast. Yeah, it is the whole point. Yep, absolutely. You guys, thank you. See you. Thank you, guys. Yep. Later. Yep. Bye. Bye.